right, let me thank Faith Baptist Church for right at 40 years of being part of our ministry. Uh, years ago in Saluda, North Carolina, I met Brother Charles Chapman. For the first time, we became friends. I came here and preached many meetings at this church through the years, and then the Lord started opening up doors, not only at home, but abroad. Uh, we went over to Russia during the 90s, uh, made 10 different evangelistic trips there in the Republic of Georgia, and literally reached uh, millions of people in Tbilisi, Georgia, one of the most orthodox countries in the world. Uh, they were hooked up with the communists, and when the communists fell, uh, that gave us opportunity to go in. Uh, Brother Jerry Young, associate with the Russian Bible Society, said, I heard your radio broadcast. You said you'd like to preach to somebody that really wanted to hear the Word of God. He said, I just came back from the Republic of Georgia. He said, they were literally mob you for tracts. And I thought, boy, I'd like to go there. So we went there, and sure enough, you open your literature box, they wouldn't try to hurt you. They'd try to get a piece of gospel literature. And for 10 years, we got to go again and again and again, and we filled up the Russian theater right across from the White House of Georgia, uh, it'd seat about uh, 1,200, there'd be 1,500, 1,800 people there in every service, give out the gospel and then be able to preach the Word of God. Uh, I was there about four years ago, and now the Orthodox have got an iron grip on that country again. After I was there, I preached in about 15 different small Baptist churches around the country. Uh, Franklin Graham came in there two weeks after I did. And he had a venue rented, everything. When he got there, the Orthodox shut him down. And he hunted for four days, finally found an Assembly of God parking lot to have his meeting in. And just a couple of hundred folk, a lot of them were his team, and they stood outside and uh, chanted. And he said, I've never been more ill-treated in all of my life. I said that to say this, opportunities open around the world. And we work for the night cometh when no man can work. And the Lord has opened these doors to go around the world. And God's given us ministry on all the continents except Antarctica. And I can reach penguins in the zoo somewhere. Amen. Uh, but what a privilege it's been to carry the gospel. And you've been with us. A lot of you don't know us. I know some of you from way back. Uh, but a lot of you I do know. And I want to thank you, church, for being a part of that. A little while back, we got to preach in Paris, France for three months every night. A storefront church getting started. I preached Monday through Friday. We'd go out on the streets during the day, pass out Gospels of John and Romans, and we literally circle the entirety of Paris, France. And we had people saved from all over the world. Brother Art Somerville, who's in heaven now, asked me if I'd come and do an extended campaign. I said, well, I got to have two things. Number one, I got to have prayer support. And number two, we got to have some materials to give out. So we had 350,000 Gospels of John and Romans printed up and shipped there to Paris. And then I put out emails and letters and uh, let folk know we were going. And we had somebody sign up for every day of those three months to fast and pray and ask God to move. We had people from Brazil, we had Chinese, we had uh, Australians, Americans, we had Germans, we had folk from literally all over the world that signed up, and I've got a record of that now. And during the course of that meeting, 
It'd be amazing. We had the Chinese house church out of Kuwait that I'd preached in. They said, we'll fast and pray. And one night I was preaching and I looked and through the big double doors, this little short Chinese woman came and she sort of snuck into the service, <coughs> sat down, and she uh, came for two weeks every night. Me King was her name. She was a mail-order bride. Uh, she knew English and she knew Chinese, but she didn't know French. She said, I was just walking <coughs> in front of the building and I saw that gathering and something just pulled me and said, you need to be there. And she came and sat down and got the gospel. Me King got saved by the grace of God. We had a couple of other Chinese fellas that God brought in. We had Brazilians pray and the Lord saved a Brazilian lady, Ostreed, and she graduated as the valedictorian of the Sauburn University and got to give that address and tell that whole crowd how she came to know the Lord Jesus and got saved by the grace of God. We had Jews, we had Arabs, and it was amazing how it was just an international meeting. And you may not be able to even leave LaGrange, Georgia, but you can go around the world every day. If you'll take these missionary prayer cards, find a list of your missionaries, and you'll pray for them, you can be a part of their ministry uh, by prayer. And then this church has joined us financially through the years, and I haven't taken that for granted. I thank God for you. When you pull that old pickup truck and you put that fuel in, you put out $90 or so for a tank of fuel, if you can get it for that, uh, you say, thank God for somebody that's helped me put fuel in my tank to keep going to tell somebody else about Jesus. I never have pastored a church always been an evangelist. That's what God called us to do in the early days, and we've stayed with that all these years. I've got four children. My oldest son, David's a missionary. He ministers to the uh, Native Americans. He's got a wife and four children and another one on the way. I've got a daughter. She's married to our pastor. Got four boys that love Jesus. Son's old. God's called him to preach. He preached the other night, and that was a blessing to see a young man started on the right road. Little Boone got saved just the other day, sitting at his table uh, with his mom and daddy. God had been dealing with him. I'd been talking to him about the Lord, but the light hadn't come on yet. But sitting at the supper table, Boone said, Mama, I got to get saved right now. Praise God. They went over and got down by the couch, and Boone got saved by the grace of God. God's saving our family. <clears throat> and then I got a 24-year-old son. God's called him to preach, and the Lord's blessed him. Just finished up Bible college. And then we've got a special needs child. They've traveled with us literally all over the world. And we've raised our family. And this is our life. This is not just a hobby for us. This is our life. This is what we do. And Faith Baptist, I want to thank you for being a part of that and being a blessing to us down through these years. And I appreciate the pastor, Brother Brandon, calling us and uh, allowing us to come and just express our gratitude to you and encourage you in the realm of missions. You may never see a lot of people <clears throat> that I see or know a lot of folk, but we've seen people saved on every continent and people get right with God and you've been a part of that. Paul said, not that I desire a gift, but that I desire fruit to abound to your account. And when you give to your mission program, what you're doing is giving a portion of your life because money is time in mint. You work 
uh, an hour and you make, say, $15. Well, you give $15 a week to missions. You designated that. What you've done is given an hour of your life to free that missionary up wherever he's at to go do what God's called him to do. And when you get to heaven, the apostle said you'll have fruit that will abound to your account and God keeps a record of all of that. So God bless you. All right, let's turn to Acts chapter number 21 this morning. Acts chapter number 21. And I want to look at a fellow called Philip the Evangelist. Philip the Evangelist. And let me say that I sure appreciate that meal yesterday. Oh, my goodness. What a blessing. The devil said you'll starve to death when you get to full-time ministry. Hardest thing I've ever done is lose a pound. Uh, if nothing else happens, God's people will feed you. Amen. And somebody said, God must love fat sheep. He's got a lot of them, amen. And God's children are not starving. He'll take care of us. And, and I bless his name. Appreciate all the labors that's gone into that meal and the opportunity uh, just to speak to the men. Let's stand th this morning and we'll reverence God's word together <clears throat> as we give attention to the scripture. In Acts chapter number 21 and verse number 8, it says, In the next day, we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip the evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. The same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. Father, I pray you bless the word of God, encourage this church, and Lord, is there going to be entering into a revival meeting here in February? I pray God the Holy Ghost had come. Lord, that you'd rend the heavens. You'd do a divine work in every heart. Lord, may you save souls. God, I pray your sin revival, our nation, how far we've drifted from you. And God, how the devil has attacked all that we hold uh, in sanctity and impurity. And Lord, I pray that you will move on our nation, turn us by the grace of God, <clears throat> we'll thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. There are three scriptures in the Bible that mention the evangelist. There is the gift of evangelist in Ephesians. God gave some pastors, some teachers, some evangelists. And just like the office of a pastor is a gift to the church, the office of the evangelist is a gift of the church as well. A second scripture over in Timothy, he was preaching to Timothy, that pastor of the church in Ephesus, and he reminded him to do the work of an evangelist. Timothy wasn't to go out and be an evangelist, but as a pastor, he was to do the work of an evangelist. Every church is to be an evangelistic church, that is reaching the lost. We're not just a hospital for sick saints. We are the center of evangelism for this community. And we ought to have our uh, tentacles like an octopus in every area of this community evangelizing and telling people <coughs> about the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we find in Acts chapter number 21, it says, we entered into the house of Philip the evangelist. Now, he's the only one called the evangelist in the Bible. Though many did the work of an evangelist, he's the only one in the Bible called the evangelist. Now, if I want to learn something about uh, mechanicking on diesels, 
I'm going to go to a diesel mechanic. If I want to find out something about the medical field, I'm going to go to a doctor, a man that specializes in that field. And if I want to know what an evangelist is, a biblical evangelist is, I'm going to go to the only man that the Bible calls the evangelist, and I'm going to look at his life and say, well, that's what I need to be since God called me to be an evangelist. And as God's church, we need to say we need that same evangelistic spirit in our own heart. We're living in a selfish generation. And the Lord described the sin of the last days, and one of the sins of the last days is men would be lovers of their own selves. I preached in a church some time ago, and a young fellow was sitting over on the front, and he had a T-shirt on, and it said, As a matter of fact, the world does revolve around me. And that's the attitude of a lot of people. But God's children realize that they're here for a purpose, and that purpose is to reach other people with the same gospel that they were reached with. Now, <clears throat> there are three scriptures about Philip. Turn back to Acts chapter number 6, if you will, please. The book of Acts, chapter number 6. And this is where Philip begins. He is a servant in the church. Now, this early church was evangelistic. It said in verse number 42 of chapter number 5, they were daily in the temple and in every house, and they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. And the Bible says in those days, the number of disciples was multiplied. God was saving. 3,000 got saved on Pentecost. Another 4,000 got saved. And every day they're having meeting, they're praying, they're reaching people. Folk are getting saved by the multitudes. Then all of a sudden, the men of God got up to preach and they began to choke on their own words. It was like trying to feed a colicky baby. They were getting more back on them than they were down the congregation. Something <coughs> was wrong. The Holy Ghost was grieved. Instead of sweeping it under the rug and just forgetting about it, they said, we've got to deal with this. So the Bible tells us in verse number one that there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Now these men of God were so busy that somehow the widows of one side or the other got bypassed. Now the Grecians were those that spoke Greek for a native language. The Hebrews were those that were born and raised. They were there when Grandpa put the first rock in the church. And you got insiders and outsiders. And so the grandmas, the widows got to grumbling. Most churches, if the only problem they had was a few grumbling grandmas, they'd say, thank God for that. But not the early church. They were so sensitive to the Holy Ghost and they were so in tune with God that anything that hindered and grieved and quenched the Spirit, they said, no, we're not going to allow that. So what did they do? They said to the congregation, look ye out among you and find seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost, that has wisdom of God, whom we may appoint over this business. And the Bible gives us the list of those men that were called. In verse number 5, he said they chose Stephen. And we know why. As you look over there uh, in the next chapter, you see how God uh, used Stephen to preach to that Jewish crowd, one of the first martyrs of the church. And then the Bible says not only did they choose Stephen, but they chose Philip. Now we know this Philip 
is the same Philip of Acts chapter number 21 because it said, we entered into the house of Philip the evangelist, which was one of the seven. And the only place you'll find those seven are those seven early servants in the church. <laughs> so where did Philip start out at? He started out serving God in the church, ministering to the widows. If they needed a load of firewood, Philip cut it. If they had a leaking toilet, he fixed it. If they needed shingles on the roof, he did it. He made sure that they need, if they needed bread, whatever they needed, and he went to the school of serving the widows. Unsung, unrecognized servant, but willing to do anything that God put his hand to in relationship to the house of God. Now, you'll not go very far with the Lord if you're not busy in the house of the Lord. A preacher a while ago asked, how many of you ready to serve? How many of you ready to go? You know, a lot of folk come to a church and they begin to investigate, what can this church do for me? When it ought to be, what can I do for the church? The Lord's done so much for us. We ought to be willing to serve him with all of our heart. And so he began to serve the Lord in the church. As a young man, I grew up under a pastor that believed if God called you to preach, you better get ready to preach. He started a Saturday night youth meeting and had a young preacher preach every Saturday night. People kept saying, do something for the young people. He said, all right, we're going to have old time singing, old time praying, old time preaching, old time repentance, and old time worship of God. And man, we called it Saturday Night Live every Saturday night for seven years. I cut my teeth preaching there. He got us five rest homes. We had a jail service. We had a prison ministry. We had a street ministry. Got a gospel tent and just went out and did raw evangelism and shake apple trees and find migrant camps and bring sinners in and preach the gospel to them and see them saved by the grace of God. Getting busy in the church. You want to be used of God outside this church? Then get busy in this church. Have you asked yourself the question, what can I do? How can I be a part of what's going on? Have you lined up and asked your preacher, hey preacher, what can I do? Where can I serve? What, what uh, I, I need to be doing? Boy, that's the way Philip was. He was a servant in the church. But then I want you to look, if you will, please, over to Acts chapter number uh, 8. <clears throat> the Bible tells us how that he became a servant of the church. In Acts chapter number 8, the church had done something that the Lord didn't tell them to do. They were assembling in Jerusalem. They were the first mega church in the history of the world. They had over 15,000 members. They thought, man, just like worship of the temple, everybody's going to come to Jerusalem and here's where we're going to have church at. The Lord Jesus told them, go into all the world and preach the word of God. But they had huddled up there. They were the first mega church. So in Providence, Saul of Tarshish jumped right in the middle of those sheep and they scattered everywhere, the Bible says. And when they were scattered everywhere, guess what they did? They went preaching the word of God. And then these churches started being established in individual communities. And you see, God wants our churches to be churches that realize 
that we're not here to grow a mega church. We're here to send out mega multitudes of people into the world to start other churches. Shubal Stearns in Sandy Creek, North Carolina, got saved under George Whitfield. Came down the eastern seaboard preaching the Word of God. Became a Baptist by the time he got there right below Ashboro. And he got a reception of the gospel. This was prior to the Revolutionary War, just as it was to start. He preached and preached, and folk came from all over. One morning he had 600 people in his congregation. Now this is a country church. They're coming from everywhere. And he got up and said, this is not right. He said, we're going to split this church. And what he did was took 10 families and a preacher and send them to communities that didn't have any gospel witness and they would start a church. And when that church would arise, then they would start a church. I just preached in Albany, Kentucky at the Clear Fort Baptist Church. It was started over 200 years ago by a man that came out of that Shubal Stearns meeting and it's going strong to this day. I preached in another church that came out of that church. And you see, God wants his church to multiply by spiritual dividing. What we've done through the years is churches have split and by fussing and fighting and that's how they multiply. That's not of God. God wants us to be church planters around the country and literally around the world. Well, the Bible tells us that whenever that church was busted all to pieces because of persecution, <coughs> in verse number 5, that Philip went down to the city of Samaria and he preached Christ unto them. Now, the Jews and the Samaritans didn't have any dealings with each other. The Samaritans were the remains of the Jews during the Babylonian captivity. Not everybody was taken. Some of them hid out. And some of those Jews mingle with uh, other races, with Babylonians and all of that. And when Nehemiah and Ezra came back, they said, let us help build the temple. And they said, no way, man. You polluted yourself. You're supposed to stay pure Jews, and you haven't done that. And so they started the Samaritan religion. And in John chapter number 4, you see the woman at the well who was Samaritan. And she questioned Jesus and said, how is it that you being a Jew ask drink of me, a woman of Samaria? And he said, you worship, you know not what. We worship for salvation is of the Jews because he came through the Jewish race. But she got saved by the grace of God. A multitude came, they got saved, and the church started a ministry unto the Samaritans. And the work of God's going on and blossoming and blessing. And when Philip went there, guess what he preached to him? He didn't preach Judaism. He didn't preach Hebrewism. He preached Jesus Christ unto them. I have people ask me sometimes, preacher, when you go to Kenya and you're standing under a neem tree or a palm tree and you got a whole Luau village there uh, at your feet, what do you preach to them? I say, I preach Christ. I say, no, no, no. No, what do you preach to them? I say, I preach Jesus. Well, wh wh what do you mean? That what they're wanting is an outline or a certain scripture or whatever. A friend, Jesus is in all the scriptures and all the outlines. And I found this out that preaching Christ Jesus, the Holy Ghost, will anoint that and accompany that. First time I got off the plane in India, I looked at all those gods and goddesses and these smoked-up priests coming out and realizing people for thousands of years been in bondage to this religion. 
And I said to myself, what is a country boy from Green River, North Carolina, doing over here trying to convert these people with such steep tradition? I mean, they drink milk with the rats, and they worship everything that moves and that which don't move. And I said, Lord, what am I doing here? I can't do this. God said, you can't, but I can. And if you'll preach my gospel, I'll show you. I went to the Hyderabad Gardens that night, preached the Word of God, gave the invitation. This dear little lady came walking up through there with a dot between her eyes, and she looked at the, uh, the pastor I was with, and she said, I'm ready to renounce all my gods and my goddesses and trust Jesus Christ alone as my Lord and my Savior. And she got saved by the grace of God. And as I went back there where I was staying, the Holy Ghost said, I told you, I told you, you just preach me. I'll interpret it to their hearts. I'll put it in their minds. I'll convict them of their sins, and I'll show them their need. And friend, that's happened literally around the world. And here these Samaritans are. Philip's going out, and he's reaching other. He's going beyond the bounds. He's going further and further. And that ought to be the desire of this church and of every church to reach out beyond where we're at now. Not be satisfied with just sitting on a pew, going through a few services a week, going to the house, but being a part of reaching the world with the gospel. Well, Philip may have thought that he had found a home there, but the Bible tells us that one night the angel of the Lord came to him in verse 26 and said, Arise and go down toward the south under the way uh, that goeth from Jerusalem to Gaza, which is desert. Philip was thinking, Lord, why do you want me to leave this place? I, I'm just hollering Jesus. Men, they're getting saved everywhere. We're in a real revival. <clears throat> but the Lord said, I've got another assignment for you. So he packed his bags and he headed down. He headed to the desert. He headed not knowing why he was going or what he was going to get to. He just had to believe God was leading him. And guess what? When he got there, the Bible tells us in verse number uh, 27, And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, had come to Jerusalem for to worship. And he was returning, sitting in his chariot. He was reading Isaiah the prophet. Some of you remember the old cowboy movies where the long ranger would be out there fighting the enemy and then the screen would turn around and say, and meanwhile, back at the ranch. And then it would go show you that. Well, that's the way this scripture is. God's calling Philip to go down this road. He don't even know why he's going down toward Gaza. <coughs> Nothing's there. He don't know anybody. But then the Lord says, now let me show you the other side of it. He's working in an Ethiopian's heart, the right-hand man of the queen's heart, he wanted to go find out about God. He went up to Jerusalem. He got there. He didn't run into anybody to tell him about the Lord, but he did stop by the Bible bookstore and get him a scroll of Isaiah the prophet, which is called the fifth gospel. Couldn't have got a better prophet in the whole Bible. And he's going down the road, <coughs> and evidently he's an educated man. He's reading it either uh, in Hebrew or translated into Greek. And as he's riding and rolling and reading, he's thinking, man, oh, man. Who's he talking about? Somebody else or himself? I don't understand this. I sure do wish somebody would come along and tell me about the Lord. Well, God had Philip sitting there on a rock somewhere, and as this caravan came by, <coughs> the Holy Ghost said, there's your man. 
Well, Philip ran to the chariot. And that describes evangelism. Philip ran one place to the other, carrying the gospel. He said, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I except some man should guide me? And Philip said, just so happened to have my guide license. Been there, done that. I know who he's talking about. I know that person. And he got up in his chair and guess what he did? He preached to him, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Well, the Ethiopian came along to a pool of water and he said, well, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? He said, well, it's believer's baptism. You don't get baptized till you get saved. So what do you believe about Jesus? He said, I believe that he is the Son of God, and he confessed him as his Lord and Savior. Oh, Philip hollered, whoa, you, praise God. They went down into the water, and the Bible said the Ethiopian came up from there rejoicing, and he went back down into Ethiopia. And when David Livingston went in as an evangelist missionary, he found in the dark soul of Africa stories about the Bible, Joseph, men that knew about Adam and Eve, that guy, history says, carried the gospel and died as a martyr down in the depths of Africa as he carried the word of God. You never know how far a message or how far a witness will go or who God will save or what the Lord will use that. We need to be like people that have a battle bow at all times. You archers know and if you got a bow, you don't just pick it up and go to shooting bullseyes. You got to tune it up. You got to sight it in. You got to be ready for it. That's a battle bow. But if your bow is not being tuned up, you just sling arrows. That's about all you're going to do. Well, we need to be ready to have our arrows sharpened and ready. There's gospel tracks all around. There's opportunities at a gas pump, at a grocery store, at a place of business, at a casual meeting with somebody. And we need to be ready, like old Philip, to give that gospel. And maybe the Lord will save somebody by his grace. Well, afterward, the Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord carried him away. And he passed through preaching the gospel. He went to Azotes. And he went to uh, the Philistine country. He went to the uh, uh, country of uh, different parts of the world, carrying the gospel, rejoicing, and going along, and you would think in the book of Acts that it's going to be the Acts of Philip the Evangelist. Man, <coughs> God's using him. But instead, he disappears off the scene because in Acts 9, God saves Saul of Tarsus, who becomes Paul the Apostle. And you know the story about Paul the Apostle and how God used him. And boy, it becomes about Paul and about how God used him in a mighty way. But old Philip just continuing on. For 20 years, 20 years, you don't hear anything about Philip whatsoever until Acts chapter number 21. Turn there. We see Philip, a servant in the church. He's a servant of the church. And now he's becoming a servant back to the church. They entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist living there in Caesarea. 20 years, nothing said about him. But Paul says, hey, he's a faithful man. I'm staying at his house. He didn't check in the local hotel. He checked in with old brother Philip, <coughs> his wife and his four daughters. They took care of him uh, for many days. And I think the Bible's telling us he just did what God called him to do. 
It's sort of like the stars in the sky. You look up and you see those stars. People don't pay it a lot of attention. But if one star falls, oh, look, and boy, everybody points at that falling star. Yeah, but what about all the stars that have been shining and doing what they're supposed to do and being faithful all these years? Philip was that kind of fella. And then the Bible tells us that he starts ministering back to Paul. He wasn't jealous. He didn't say, Paul took all my meetings away. He got all the glory. There's no place for that in God's people's heart or in evangelism. We're on the same team. I like what Brother Joseph did in Kenya. When they have elections in Kenya, they always have burnings and killings, and they can't just have a peaceful election. Uh, but they were having fires and riots and all that, and Joseph was harboring other tribes, Kenyan tribes, in his church. And some fellow said to him, said, Joseph, why are you harboring these Luais and Maasais? said, you're Gary Alma. We're the strongest of all the tribes. He said, well, listen, I harbor them because we are of the tribe of Jesus. And that goes beyond any other tribe that you can be a part of. And I want to say, my friend, Philip did what he did for the good and the glory of God. And he wasn't jealous of Paul. He housed him, and he was a blessing back to him. And we're coming down to the end now of his life. We see several things are said about him. First of all, he had a house. He had a house big enough to house Paul and his family. God blessed him. And I'm glad you serve God. God will take care of you. Not only that, he had a home. He had a wife and four daughters. Now, ladies, not one thing is said about Philip's wife. How about that? Not one thing. And yet everything's said about Philip's wife. You see, they had four daughters. They were morally pure. They were virgins. They wasn't running around while Philip was out preaching somewhere. They were spiritually powerful. They prophesied. That means to speak with the breath of God. They'd witness to you just as fast as Philip would witness to you. They were spiritual. And where did they get that from? They got that from Mama. She didn't gripe and ground say, what, Philip, I wish he'd stay at home out here chasing Ethiopians and Philistines and all that. I'll tell you right now, I'm sorry right now. No, she knew what God had called him to do. In 1981, I married a young lady out of the Mount Sinai Baptist Church in Pickens. I was young, single. I got tired of trying to find a wife. So I said, Lord, you're going to have to send me one. So Donna and two other girls were singing at the Concord Baptist Church. <laughs> While they were singing, the Lord said, there's your wife. I said, thank you, Jesus. Amen. I got around to telling her, and you know what? She agreed with me. She's Miss Sophomore and all of this stuff. I mean, she's a beautiful, godly lady that loved Jesus on fire for God. We got married. And we've raised our children on the road, and I could have never done what I've done these 40-some years of preaching had it not been for her standing with me and realizing it's our ministry together. Not only that, but we find that Philip had hospitality. He entertained others that came through. Thank you, church, for your hospitality. I stayed in a good hotel last night that wasn't full of bed bugs. Hallelujah. I have slept in five stars, and I have slept under the stars. I could tell you some more stories today, but I won't because God's took care of us. But thank you 
for your hospitality. That goes a long way. And Jesus said, if you've done it to one of these least ones, you've done it unto me. And then we find that Philip and his family had a heart. Agabus came down and said, Paul, you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be incarcerated. They're going to kill you. And, and the Bible says they of that house wept. Those daughters wept. Paul, don't do that. Go to the Gentiles. Them Jews are going to kill you. Paul said, why weep and break my heart? I've got to go. I'm not only willing to go. I'm willing to die there. I've got to go. And so they ceased. But they had a heart for Paul. And don't you know that when they got word, have you heard? Heard what? They took Paul's head off. He's dead now. I can see Philip, his wife, and daughters gather on the porch there and say, you know, it was a blessing we helped that man of God as he came through here. Now he's in heaven. And aren't you glad? And I can hear him tell some stories about maybe some funny things that happened, how one of the daughters burnt the cornbread or somebody spilled something or whatever, you know. But they were thrilled to death that they had helped that man of God. And when these missionaries, these men of God come through this place and you're good to them, and you hear on down the road the Lord's called them home to be with him, You'll not have any regrets. And listen, I appreciate your hospitality. and appreciate your friendship. The Bible tells us that Paul went on. We don't hear anything else about Brother Philip. But I'd say he continued on serving God till the day he died. Every one of us need to look at Philip and say, God, let me have an evangelistic spirit. And whatever door you open, Whatever opportunity you give me, and by the way, you can reach people that your preacher will never reach, and he'll never know. Every one of us have got people that we're around and have influence. So somebody like me comes to town, they say, well, the hard guns are here. But when you look at them and say, I'm burdened about your soul, I want to know, are you saved? Let me tell you about Jesus. That'll go a long way to seeing folks saved. I want to ask you this question. Have you got somebody on your heart? Maybe an Ethiopian, maybe a Samaritan, maybe a Jew, maybe a Gentile, maybe a man, maybe a woman. Or you just sort of float into church and float out of church and not worry about bringing anybody with you. May God put in us the spirit of evangelism. Let's stand all over the house, please. <clears throat> I just want to ask you this morning God spoke to you about reaching somebody praying for somebody maybe you've almost give up on them but aren't you glad they didn't give up on you they may be here this morning and need to be saved they may not be here you might want to bring them to the altar today in a spirit of prayer and ask God to help you to go through an open door. And as I prayed as a young man, I pray every day going into work, God, you open a door for me to witness and I'll witness. And when God did, it was just like somebody walked up to me and tapped me on the shoulder and said, there it is. I'd get that lump in my throat. I'd begin to think, boy, what am I going to do? Am I going to let it pass? And then i just start. And then as I'd start, God, give me wisdom and grace. And I think today that God spoke to our hearts about being this kind of evangelistic witness that the world needs.
Let's bow our heads and hearts as they begin to play and sing some song this morning. God spoke to you. You want to come and seek his face. You come. Pastor, I'll ask you to come.